0: Welcome to Lumpin' Week in Review, the show that covers the past week of news, happenings, and programs presented on Lumpen Radio. This week, Lumpen provided wall-to-wall coverage of the most critical election in our lifetimes and discussed a controversial ordinance in Pilsen. All this plus the Trump Diaries, Size Matters, and AWCYFM. Only on the Lumpin' Week in Review for November 6, 2020. The Lumpen Newsroom provided wall-to-wall coverage of the 2020 election. In this segment, Mario Smith, Jamie Trecker, and John Daly spoke with U.S. Senator Dick Durbin about the fallout from the election and the challenges facing America going forward. Full election coverage continues on Lumpen this week and on our Twitch channel.
1: Senator, thank you so much for making time for us today. We really appreciate it.
2: Happy to be with you.
3: Senator Durbin, when we look at the, at the, um, the overall picture of, of the massive amounts of people who voted early... Um, the, the enthusiasm to actually get out and, and or, or to mail in a ballot or to, to, to go early and, and vote, what does that say to you?
2: Two things. First, we may break every record in America in terms of turnout for this vote today when it comes to president of the United States, and I sure hope we do. If, if you have a thriving democracy with a future, you need voter participation. When voters vote with their feet and say, why waste my time? I'm not going to waste my time and my vote on these people. I don't trust any of them. That is not a good commentary on who we are and where we're going. If the opposite is true today and we, we reach record-breaking numbers, uh, then that's an indication that folks have been following this very closely on both sides. we got to be careful to say that on both sides. And secondly, of course, is this coronavirus. There are just an awful lot of people who said, well, I risk it. I'm going to you know, get a paper ballot. They tell me in Illinois they're going to give me if uh, opportunity to do that uh, vote that way, I'll do it that way. Uh, and more and more people did it that way. Now, the interesting thing in history is once people start to vote a certain way, they don't change. Uh, we have a lot of African-Americans, for example, who don't trust a paper ballot. They don't think it's ever going to be counted. They want to show up physically, personally at the polling place. So we, we always have to have those opportunities for them. Others, historically, when they switch to paper ballots and voting early, that's the way they do it forever. That's becomes our style five states in the union have all vote by mail and you think oh oregon those liberals well it's also utah and those are not those liberals and hawaii i've forgotten all the others but the notion is we're moving toward an easier way to vote which goes to a a larger issue I, i don't want to take this any further than you'd like but i look at the republican party and think to myself it appears now that they've taken a hard look at the demographics of america and don't like what they see The alternative to demographics is voter suppression. If you can figure out a way to reduce the voting population in groups that are going to vote against you, you've got a better chance. And a low turnout election, it can make all the difference in the world. But it's a heck of a thing to carry into the history of the United States. That for some period of time, you were trying to dream up ways of stopping people from voting. We have so little fraud in this country. You know, there's all this speculation. You look at the reality of it. How many cases of fraud are reported? It is minuscule. What we have with voter IDs, reducing early voting and the like, is just making it tougher for people who are legally entitled to vote to actually vote. We ought to make it easier.
1: Senator, I'm glad you brought that up because I kind of wanted to bring it back also to, obviously, the pandemic and the the world we're living in right now. We're we're struggling, obviously, uh, here in Illinois. As you know, the upper Midwest has been hit very hard. Are you optimistic that regardless of who wins the White House tonight that Congress can get together uh, and get a bill through the Senate uh, obviously the House has passed a couple relief bills and they've sat on a certain Senator's desk but you know when the election is over um, you know many people are still going to be out of work many people are still struggling with hospital bills and the case numbers obviously are continuing to explode. Do you have any optimism that a deadlock can be broken there for the American people?
2: I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure. I'm hopeful that it will be. I've spoken to a number of my Democratic senatorial friends, uh, even in the few days we've been back home, and they feel as I do. We've got to reach across the aisle. It's like I said, I-, I believe in Nancy Pelosi's total package, $3 trillion package. We can't get that. The Republicans won't vote for that. But there may be enough of them to vote for $2.2 in some of the categories I mentioned earlier. The question is whether the president, uh, if he is not re-elected, still has an appetite for doing it. He promised a big bill. Maybe he'll do it. Maybe he'll want to leave on a positive note in that regard. I don't know for sure. But I think we We need to try. We desperately need to try. There's so many people in businesses hanging by a thread.
1: Yeah. And I just wanted to, to follow up again on, on something else. You said, you know, the president has already said that he will go out and file suit at midnight tonight. You know, if he is not... Uh, And, uh, you know, the GOP, as you mentioned, has filed a number of lawsuits, uh, you know, before the election even started to try to get uh, the voter totals down in certain places to get ballots thrown out in places as disparate as Houston. Uh, They actually just filed. I I saw that they're they're trying to get the polls to stay open in Nevada for an hour longer. Um, What what does this say to you, unfortunately, about the other party on the other side of the aisle? Because. Um, I would have thought that seeing so many people come out to vote across the country, regardless who, the, who they were voting for, uh, is a good thing for America, because it could maybe bring us a little closer together. If people feel they have a stake in the election and actually got out and participated, it's a lot harder to um, say that you didn't have a chance to get your voice heard, and it's a lot harder, I think, to um, you know put down the other side.
2: Remember, this is the first president in the history of our country who would not state the obvious, and that is that he would accept the outcome of the election if he lost. No one's ever said that before. And no one's ever suggested all of the conspiracies this president suggested about what's actually happening with paper ballots when there was no proof of it. Think of all the times in the news media when they had to print a disclaimer after the president's statement saying, with no evidence, the president said there's much more fraudulence with paper ballots, over and over again. He is clearly reaching a point where if he faces defeat, he wants to have a fight on his hands and an excuse if he loses. And it was stolen is going to be his excuse. And it just it makes no sense. I mean, look back to 2000. Here's Al Gore and George W. Bush. They go through hanging chads. They go through state Supreme Court cases. Mm -hmm. They go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And at one point, Al Gore says, it's over. I'm not going to prolong this with more litigation, more appeals. It's over. Uh, We accept it. George W. Bush is president. And many people said, why did he quit so soon? Why did he quit? Because he understood there was something more important than his name being on the door. What was important was to keep this country moving forward. I don't think this president gets that. I think if it isn't about him, it doesn't count. And I, I really believe what we may face, if this is a close election in some respect, is a lot of litigation, a lot of charges, and a lot of lawsuits, and God only knows what the conspiratorial theorists are going to come up with tomorrow as to what what actually happened in America
1: today, mm. Senator. Before we go, I just wanted to ask: you've been campaigning and connecting to folks all over the state during this hard time, um, and, and what what are the moments of of hope that you've seen, and what are what are some of the things that you you see kind of light at the end of the tunnel for? this next year, however this, uh, long this, this goes? John,
2: you know, it, it, it's a tough time. It's tough in so many circumstances. Uh, one of your uh, hosts there tonight was talking about what he's faced personally. Uh, you know, and I, I do run into people struggling. I mean, going to these food banks, a lot of these folks are looking at their shoes when they're walking through there because they're thinking, last year I was sending a check to this place. This, this year I'm taking groceries home from this place. You know, And so a lot of people are down and dispirited to some extent through no fault of their own. They may have been laid off or lost a job. Businesses, I mean, I can't tell you, I, you could walk me through Bridgeport and tell me block by block of restaurants and businesses that families have had around for generations and are now worried about reopening the doors and worried even more about those poor people who used to work there, what's going to happen to them. So the reality of the situation is it's challenging as anything I've seen in my lifetime, that so many people would be affected by this, that so many folks would see their lives upended. You know, for my wife and I, we finally engineered some testing, so our two grandkids and their mom and dad could come out from Brooklyn, New York, and spend two weeks with us in Springfield uh, in August. We hadn't seen them for six or eight months, and it hurt, and it still does. That it was the last time we got to see them. So every family is going through some version of this, whether it's children, grandchildren, or just the family celebrations at, you know, the corner restaurant. And it's all been troubling. But I will tell you that we're going to get through this. We are definitely going to get through this. I hope sooner rather than later. I hope by the middle of next year at the latest, we will have a vaccine being widely distributed and more and more people will have confidence that they can resume their normal lives. Uh, I I want to say a word for Governor Pritzker. Not the most popular guy in Illinois, either downstate or in Chicago. He has to give us the bad news every day if things are not going well and suggest how we address it. And a lot of people are pushing back. But he's got a hard, hard job, and it's for a politician the hardest of jobs, to try to keep people alive. And that's what this comes down to. Uh, I I, I just tell you, John, I, I went to Midway Airport many times over the last several months heading out to Washington. And I'm looking at airport, and every person at the airport had a mask on, every single person. And I thought, these folks get it. They understand. They've got to do their part. And that kind of thing gives you some hope.
1: Wonderful. Senator, we really want to thank you tonight. Um, can you leave us with any good news? Are you optimistic about the national picture? Um, are, what's, what's going to happen? Can you make any kind of prediction at all?
2: Well, ask me when the votes are in.
1: Okay. We can do <laughs> be that. a lot uh-huh.
2: smarter on that situation. But I'm looking at them now 79% of the votes in, and Biden's got 50% in Florida, and Trump's got 49.1, and I'm thinking 79% of the vote, oh man, this is going to be a late night. It's going to be a late uh, night. <laughs> I hope we can turn the corner in this country and move forward. We're great people, and I want to spend some time, and I hope we do, binding the wounds of this country. We've got to reach out and talk to one another. Uh, across the aisle and show that we truly have our differences politically, but we're all Americans and in this together.
0: Jamie also chatted with Representative-elect Marie Newman, who won a hard-fought battle to replace Dan Lipinski in our House district. Newman discussed what challenges Democrats face in a divided Washington and just how much they can accomplish with an obstructionist Senate.
1: Joining us on the phone right now is the new House Representative from the 3rd District, Marie Newman. Marie, how are you?
4: I am well. Congratulations. Congratulations. Marie, Thank
1: you so much. Th- yeah, th- Marie, thanks so much for taking time out of your schedule to talk to us. And again, congratulations. Marie took over a district. Uh, it is actually our district uh, down here. Uh, she took over from Dan Lipinski, and she beat off a very tough challenge. And, and Marie, if you don't mind, I'd like to start there. Um, sure. One of our earlier guests uh, thought that in Illinois, Democrats uh, might have struggled because of some blowback from the lockdown orders that uh, Governor J.B. Pritzker put in. And, uh, you know, he made the point that, uh, unfortunately, when you do these things well, uh, you know, people are healthy and survive. But then they don't realize that, you know, they were actually helped by that because the orders worked well and people didn't get sick. What I I looked at your race and I thought it was a little closer than I anticipated. Did you think your race was closer than you thought it would be? And and I guess overall, what was your sense of how uh, the down ballot races did in Illinois this year?
4: Yeah, so all good questions. Um, I guess I would start with, um, you know, in terms of the, you know, nobody liked the lockdown, you know, including Governor Pritzker, including Lori Lightfoot. You know, I mean, nobody liked the lockdown. Um, We would all prefer to have um, some level of normalcy, but it was the right thing to do to keep people safe and healthy. So um, let me start there, and let me start by saying that the state had given the void in leadership um, coming out of the federal um, government, uh, meaning there was none, um, and then there was, you know, uh, negligence and incompetence. The fact that we had a strong um, uh, leader in Governor Pritzker, and um, in terms of our mayor, um, they both did a really amazing job with unchartered territory. So um, let's start there. People did say, stay healthier. We probably um, reduced and prevented a lot of deaths and, you know, a bunch of things. Is it horrifying where we're at? It is very sad. Um, is it, um, really troubling that our numbers are escalating today? I saw that, you know, they went up, they jumped up, you know, uh, exponentially again. Um, this is very serious stuff. And I I understand, look, I, I hate that I can't, um, go get, go to my favorite hot dog place and get a hot dog. I hate it. (laughs) It makes me cray cray. But um, you know we are where we are, and I think we have to accept that. And we have to be good neighbors to one another. So there is that. I do think that in terms of the effect on the election, there may have been. But look, we—I think that um, Democrats had a good night. I don't think that I don't want to diminish anybody's win here. You know that the fact that you know we um, you know maintained all of our seats. I do believe Lauren Underwood will, will um, Lauren Underwood will prevail. She's got a bunch of uncounted votes that'll likely be Democratic votes. So. I think we will hold um, all of our seats. Am I very sad about uh, Betsy Londrigan's law, 100%. Um, I think that, you know, we did um, well and fine. Um, could we have done better if it was not, um, you know, the era of a, a pandemic where, where people are just really suffering overall? Um, what I will remind everybody is, uh, what your, your formal guest or panelists said, is that when things are going well or better, people forget how they got there, and if we had not put all that stuff in place, we wouldn't have um, any level of normalcy right now. So um, did it maybe affect us? Yeah, it maybe affected the election for sure, but um, it, you know, being alive is better than dead, as I always say. Clearly.
3: <laughs> um, with that in mind, um, what what would you like to see happen um, in the next few months in the short term to, to yeah. get a hold of the coronavirus. And um, do you think we're going to end up in another lockdown? And and are you going to be supportive of that? Are you going to try to convince the the governor to not do that?
4: So um, federally, I think we need a mask mandate. And I think that is part of uh, Joe Biden's agenda. However, he won't be in charge until Uh, The third week of January. So we definitely would benefit from a federal mask mandate. Every other country that has had a federal mask or a state or a a nationwide um, state uh, mask mandate has um, has done well with that and has prevented a lot of deaths and a lot of uh, infections. Um, So I would like to see that, and whether we do it at a federal level or state level, um, I, I think that would be a very important step. Um, do I think we should have a 100 percent lockdown where pe- people can't leave their homes? No, I don't. I don't think actually that is the answer. Do we have to have strong restrictions? I think that is the answer. Um, so um, with, uh, but I also think we should follow the science.
3: With, with all due respect, we just even if those numbers continue to rise as if the, as they did today with 10,000 new cases reported in a day, you think that we should still not
4: have a lockdown? Or, 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 well, or, I guess let's define lockdown, right, is that are we going to go back to phase two? Are we going to yeah. go back to phase one? What are we going to do? I, I, what I would say is, is that, uh, I'll be honest, I've been running a campaign and I haven't looked at I all understand. of the numbers yeah. yet. So um, I trust uh, Governor Pritzker, um, Dr. Awadi, and all of the experts to make good decisions for it. If they ultimately come to the conclusion that it is a very severe lockdown, I will be a law-abiding citizen and support it and won't um, refute it. But it's not where I want to be, but if that is the only, literally the only answer, we should do it.
3: And I, I did not mean to put the pressure on you. I'm just very yeah. excited for everybody that's coming in new to start like an hour ago, so we can get yeah. these things <laughs> taken care of as soon as possible.
0: Well, I, mean, I know, right?
1: Like, yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. Marie, let's let's talk about that. Just to extend on that, you know, obviously Western Europe has started to go into a second lockdown, and it's very unpopular. Yeah. You know, England did it uh, yesterday. Italy is doing it today. Yeah. Uh, Poland, Lithuania, France, Germany. I could go on and on. If a firebreak comes in, I think the next question then is what happens to the businesses in Chicago? And, you know, one of the things, you're you're entering the House. You were not there, obviously, for the last thing. But, you know, pandemic relief has been stalled in Congress. Now, this isn't the House. The House has obviously passed two bills. But what can we do, um, and what can you do, I guess, uh, after you come in in January to— you know, get some money in the pockets of these poor people who are saying, hey, my restaurant's closed, my business is closed, I can't pay my mortgage, I'm going to be evicted. These are these are serious issues that are happening, you know, right now.
4: Yeah. Well, it would have been ideal if um, the um, third package had been uh, passed through the Senate and then the president would have signed it because it would have given relief to um small businesses, um, it would have given uh, unemployment insurance uh, extensions to individuals, um, also the the remedy of having the money go directly to FEIN and EIN codes would have been dramatically made it a, a shorter system by which people would receive their funding um, and then funding uh, states and cities and towns and counties and uh, hospitals and testing. That would have been the ideal thing. That bill was a great bill, right? Um, now, what I will say is is that um, that will be the first point of business um, right after Congress gets started in January, that that will be the first bill that goes out. Obviously, relief is number one, because without relief, nothing happens. Um, so I think that's number one. But simultaneous to that, uh, Biden and Harris have a good um, pandemic uh, relief program that it would be federally mandated with um, testing being made available on a more widespread level and making sure that the vaccine – is distributed through uh, um, a National Defense Production Act um, distribution model. Um, you know, all of those things um, have to happen in concert. So what I would say is let's take the bill as is, um, brush it off, get it through the Senate, um, and then get the, the our new uh, presidential team to sign it. And, um, we will be moving. But getting that, leaf, that relief for all of those areas is critical. I, You know, there's just no, there's nothing else more... Uh, important
1: than that. You know, I want to switch gears for one second. You know, we've, we've been talking through the show. Obviously, we've been kind of stuck here for a few days talking about the <laughs> election, not sleeping, not really thinking much. But one of the things that strikes me is that the Republicans uh, made this much closer, first of all, than the polls forecast. I don't want to talk about the polls, but I do want to talk about the fact that what some 60 million people, if not more, voted for the Republicans and they voted for Trump. Um, as much as I have a personal distaste for the Trump administration, I am concerned that, you know, there is a large portion of the United States that did feel that that administration was doing something that spoke to them and felt that they connected to them. And I guess my question is, how do you, in the next Congress, reach out to the people, and they're in our district here in Bridgeport. I don't think there's Absolutely. any mistake about yeah. that. Uh, yeah. And they're in your district in South Shore. Um, I don't know if they're in Mario's in Hyde Park. I can't speak to Hyde Park. But, look, how do we reach out to the people that said, you know, Trump was standing up for me. He was standing up for the little guy. He, he was giving us no BS, as his posters put it. What, yeah. what happens there? Because you do have to represent everybody in the district.
4: Well, you know, I, I think that I will give credit where credit's due, even though it's, you know, not uh, what I would like, is that frequently Republicans are better at distilled messages. We're, we're not great at that. We never have been. Democrats have never been great at that. They're, we're not great at the soundbite. Um, a couple of other things is is that we did not go to the trouble, and when I say we, Democrats, probably up and down ticket, maybe some of them did, did not take opportunity to do some deconstruction and really find out the real reason why they voted for um, Trump and the Republicans, because we're in a pandemic that's not getting better. It's getting worse. We're in a devastated economy. Um, Now, finally, the stock market is realizing, wow, this is, uh," you know, I mean, it it buoyed when, you know, it looked like Biden could win. But, um, you know, all, all indicators, all standard economic indicators, not in good shape. So, it's not we all thought that they were voting for the economy right um, it's not that it is that um, americans at their heart do not like change <laughs>
1: at all yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah we don't so like that's, being that's, out of work and we you know we, yeah no good
4: right yeah, yeah. yeah we don't like change in any way we don't like being out of work we don't like this pandemic we don't like um, having our systems change our way of thinking so um, the democratic platform um, has been positioned in such a way, and 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 a lot of it has come from the disinformation and misinformation in, on the Internet, right? Um, people have gotten all in their little bubbles, and that's all they listen to um, or read. So, I, you know, I've been having this conversation with colleagues and new colleagues, uh, as well as leadership, and, and saying that I think we have to make this um, a very discernible set of solutions. And it goes like this, is that whenever we have had... Um, a huge crisis in this country. Democrats have gotten us out of it. The Democrats have gotten us out of the Great Depression, um, many wars, uh, many recessions, um, as well as um, being uh, the party of the Civil Rights Movement and several other movements, the Women's Movement and on and on. So we are the party of solutions, and they are discernible solutions that actually work, and they're proven. So every time we come up with an idea, something like Medicare for All, existing programs, working now we're going to make it bigger and better and roll it out very practical couldn't be more practical the um, you know in terms of the green stimulus package um, we're investing in america we're investing in uh, green union jobs transportation infrastructure and it's, it can be rolled out quickly um, these are all super practical things so what are we we are the party of practical solutions done <laughs>
5: Size matters. Smith, Kyle, size, Winkowski. Welcome to the show. I'm standing outside the co-prosperity sphere here on Morgan waiting for Kyle. And this episode, will Minkowski, be... come here. What's up? Oh, come here. Okay, oh, yeah, park the truck. But don't park. There's a railroad tie in the back. Pull it out and slide it in front of the back tires. It'll come to a full stop. Mm, uh, okay. Uh, Serious carbon monoxide stuff going on with this truck. (laughs) That's not good. I know I I kept falling asleep in front of red lights. Whose pickup truck is this, anyway? That's a friend of mine's. I mean, what were you you doing with it? I've been delivering filing cabinets all over the city. Why filing cabinets? Because it's the safest way for people to keep the facts safe from alternative fact people. Oh, you mean like documents, birth certificates, passports stuff like that. Facts of life. Conversations, photographs, doodles, recipes, Mm -hmm. all things. See, filing cabinets Mm -hmm. can't crash or be hacked or manipulated by anything that isn't a crowbar or the key that opens it. (laughs) I mean, wouldn't a hard drive do the job? Hard drive. Are you nuts? Uh, Do you have any ideas how easy it is for someone with advanced computer knowledge to get inside of one of those things? (laughs) Hey, Janice Joplin, I bet all the recipes that Mars Brewing has are on some dumb computer somewhere. Is it any surprise at all? That we live in an age oh, of the just... Orange Man and the Patriots cheating <sighs> their way into another Super Bowl. The whole society is becoming town. Yeah, I know. It does feel that way. I just. At least the Women's March was a positive example where the nation can go, you know? It was more than positive. It saved my life. How do you mean? Uh, the carbon monoxide leak in the truck nearly killed me a bunch of times. I was constantly being resuscitated. So you were in the march? I was delightfully trapped in it, actually. I was doing my part in handing out filing cabinets. That's awesome, Kyle. I mean, not very cool for the environment, but your best effort is good enough, as always. You know, I, I don't want to ruin the show or nothing, but I gotta ask, why do you sound so depressed today? Well, an overwhelming sense of dread. Uh, you know what, there's, there's no time to wallow. You can donate, you can volunteer, you can show up and get involved. You, know. you can make America not like Undertown. Right. Now repeat after me. Make America not like Undertown. Make, make America, America not like Undertown. Undertown. Make, make America not like Undertown. America not like like Undertown. Undertown. Make America... Okay. We should write a song. Yeah, Okay. <laughs> What's the best nation? Donation, as it was famously said. I do a lot of things for people, and I don't just write songs for all you jokers out there. Back to Radio Free Bridgeport with the Homeboys.
1: This week on the Trump Diaries, 30,000 COVID infections are linked to Trump rallies. Don Jr. falsely claims deaths are zero and the experts are all morons. Election day goes off smoothly. The U.S. remains on a knife's edge as Dems keep the House and the Senate stays in play. And Joe Biden is elected the 46th president of the United States. Is this the end of the Trump Diaries? Well, no. These are the Trump Diaries. Day 1380, October 30th. The United States set a grim record with 90,456 new COVID cases reported in a single day, hours after the United States logged its nine millionth case. The USA has seen over half a million new cases in the past week and is the most for any seven day period since July. Cases are on the rise in every state save Hawaii. Trump has continued to baselessly claim that we are rounding the turn on the pandemic and lies that deaths are way down in the US claiming that mass testing has exaggerated the number of infections. Vice President Mike Pence, who is the ostensible chair of the White House's Coronavirus Task Force, hasn't even attended his own planning calls in over a month. Don Trump Jr. falsely claimed that COVID-19 deaths have dwindled to almost nothing on the same day that at least 1,000 Americans died from it. On Fox News, John Jr. said, quote, if you look at it, I put it on my Instagram. I went through the CDC data because I kept hearing about the new infections, but why aren't they talking about the deaths? Oh, oh because the number is almost nothing because we have gotten control of this thing. Trump Jr. then called the medical experts truly morons. His interviewer, Lori Ingram, noted on air that this was completely untrue. And speaking of her, Ingram later showed up at a White House function that same day where she was publicly mocked by Trump for wearing a mask. The DHS has withheld data from the public about which hospitals and which communities are reaching capacity. Only one member of the Coronavirus Task Force, that's Admiral Brett Girard, appears to receive those documents directly. Trump has stripped gray wolves of their Endangered Species Act protection. Gray wolves were listed as an endangered species starting in 1967 and have seen their population rebound. However, there remain only 6,000 known gray wolves in the U.S., and thousands of acres of habitat remain uninhabited by any wolves at all. A group of Trump supporters driving trucks and waving Trump flags surrounded and slowed a Biden-Harris campaign bus as it drove down Interstate 35 in Texas, leading to the cancellation of two planned rallies. The FBI said it was investigating. In response, Trump tweeted a video of the incident with a message, quote, I love Texas. In my opinion, these patriots did nothing wrong. The FBI and justice should be investigating the terrorists, anarchists, and agitators of Antifa. Day 1381, October 31st. The U.S. economy shrunk by about 3.5% during the pandemic. However, gross domestic product grew by 33% in the third quarter as businesses reopened and people increased their spending. That is expected to fall back now dramatically as the Senate has refused to take up pandemic assistance legislation and is now recessed until November 9th. The Department of Health and Human Services awarded a $250 million advertising contract to, quote, defeat, despair, and inspire hope weeks before the election. That campaign helmed by the ousted Michael Caputo wanted to use the ads to support Trump's re-election with themes like, quote, helping the president will help the country. Caputo polled 274 celebrities, but only 10 were approved before the plug was pulled. Among those who did not make the cut were Jennifer Lopez because she had criticized the president's immigration policies during her Super Bowl performance, Director Judd Apatow because he, quote, believes Trump does not have the intellectual capacity to be president, and Johnny Depp, because he seems to be aligned with traditional liberals. And Trump's Interior Secretary, David Bernard, shared a video that flashed images of birds, mountains, and plains over text hailing Trump for, quote, preserving the awesome majesty of God's great creation. Bernhardt is now under investigation for violations of the Hatch Act. Congress and the State Department's Inspector General are investigating Mike Pompeo and his wife for potential repeated misuse of government resources. Pompeo, his wife, and his son repeatedly emailed state department officials about personal matters, including travel plans, restaurant reservations, and maintenance requests for the house they rent. Stephen Miller says he has a four-pronged shock and awe plan to end immigration in the USA after the election. Miller wants to limit asylum, punish all sanctuary cities, expand the so-called travel ban, and limit all work visas. The objective, Miller said, is quote, raising and enhancing the standard for entry to the US, and said that executive orders are ready to be signed in shock and awe style if Trump is reelected. And in Graham, North Carolina, Police broke up a get-out-the-vote rally by using pepper spray on participants, including young children. Police also made numerous arrests. Organizers of the rally called it flagrant voter suppression. On November first, Walmart pulled all guns and ammunition from its stores in the U.S. citing concerns of civil unrest. Customers will still be able to buy guns and ammo on request, and it is not yet known how long firearms will be removed from the sales floor. Walmart sells firearms in about half its stores. That decision came after a fatal police shooting in Philadelphia. States are struggling to prepare sites to receive and distribute a coronavirus vaccine whenever the FDA authorizes one. The CDC has ordered states to have five sites ready by November 15th that are capable of receiving and administering a vaccine that must be stored at cold temperatures reaching minus 94 degrees Fahrenheit. The problem is that Congress has declined to provide funding for those sites, estimated at some $8 billion. Given the hit the pandemic has given to state finances, it is unclear if they can afford it. The Border Patrol has routinely been expelling migrant children from other countries into Mexico. More than 200 children from countries such as Guatemala, El Salvador and Honduras have been sent without an adult into Mexico. Trump said he will fire Dr. Anthony Fauci after Tuesday's election. Speaking at a campaign rally in Opelika, Florida, Trump ranted again about COVID, 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 and then claimed that doctors diagnose COVID more because they get more money. That sparked chants of fire Fauci from his supporters. Trump responded, don't tell anyone, but let me wait until a little bit after the election. Thanks for the advice. Those comments came after Fauci told The Washington Post that the U.S. could, quote, not be possibly positioned more poorly as it heads into winter. A White House spokesman later called Fauci's comments, quote, unacceptable. Tensions continued to rise ahead of the election. Cars and trucks with trump flags halted traffic on the Garden State Parkway in New Jersey and jammed the Mario Cuomo Bridge between Tarrytown and Nyack, New York. A pro-Trump convoy in Virginia ended in a tense shouting match with protesters as it approached the statue of the Robert E. Lee in Richmond. In Georgia, a rally for Democrats was canceled shortly before it was scheduled to begin on Sunday due to a large militia presence drawn by a Trump event. Also, a pair of flags urging people to vote and supporting the Black Lives Matter movement were set on fire in front of Binkley Baptist Church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. In Chicago, the Ravenswood neighborhood was covered in Proud Boys propaganda. Day 1383, November 2nd. The pandemic is now effectively out of control in the upper Midwest and in places around the globe. In the United States, cases are now rising in every state save Hawaii. deaths in Wisconsin have jumped by 91%. Minnesota, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Ohio are now seeing staggering leaps in hospitalizations. Those leaps have effectively made contact tracing impossible. We saw nearly 100,000 cases alone this Friday, and we expect to average that in the coming weeks in America. Dr. Deborah Birx delivered a stark warning, saying the pandemic is entering a new and deadly phase that demands a far more aggressive approach. Birx criticized the administration for trying to prevent lockdowns, but not following CDC guidelines. A Stanford University report said there have been at least 30,000 coronavirus infections and 700 deaths that can directly be traced to eight Trump campaign rallies. Joe Biden retains a double digit lead nationally over Trump heading into the election. Biden also retains durable leads in most battleground states that seem to put Florida and Texas into play. Nearly 100 million ballots have already been cast. Experts are forecasting the biggest election turnout in U.S. history. Chicago and many other cities are now preparing for post-election protests and violence regardless of the results. Trump has told AIDS he intends to declare a premature victory on election night. Trump told confidants he'll declare victory if it looks like he's ahead. Speaking to reporters later, Trump first denied he would try to declare victory before confirming he would try to shut down tabulating votes. Quote, I think it's a terrible thing when ballots can be collected after an election and states are allowed to tabulate ballots for a long period of time after the election is over. That we can't know the results of an election on the night of the election. As soon as that election's over, we're going in with our lawyers and armed groups and Trump partisans have been involved in multiple incidents around the USA from North Carolina to New York to Texas. There's a fear that that could spread to the Midwest. Chicago area labor leaders said they are now prepared to take action up to a general strike in the event the election does not go smoothly. A federal judge rejected Republican efforts to invalidate more than 127,000 votes that were cast at drive through locations in Harris County, Texas. This was one of just 400 suits filed by Republicans seeking to suppress the vote nationwide. Harris County contains Houston, which is the fourth largest city in the nation. Day 1,384, November 3rd, it is election day. The presidential election hung in the balance as multiple races remained too close to call at midnight. Biden ended the night well ahead in the Electoral College, but multiple key states have outstanding ballots due to a surge in mail-in voting due to the pandemic. Close to 150 million Americans cast ballots, a new record. Biden holds an edge in both the Electoral College and the popular vote, leading overnight 238 to 13. He is now expected to benefit from an overwhelmingly blue wave of mail-in ballots coming into critical states. Meanwhile, Trump falsely claimed he had won the election just after 2 a.m. He then said he was going to the Supreme Court to ask for a halt in the counts. Saying, quote, we want all voting to stop, Trump's moves were criticized by his own allies and seen as a reckless attempt to hijack the process. In contrast, Biden called for calm and patience and expressed quiet confidence. More than 100 million Americans voted early. 75% of residents in Chicago also voted. This is the highest turnout of eligible voters in a presidential election since 1908. A federal judge also ordered the US Post Office to sweep all processing facilities, especially in multiple battleground states, for any remaining mail-in ballots and to rush delivery. District Judge Emmett Sullivan gave inspectors until 3 o'clock Eastern Time to ensure that no ballots were held up and that any identified ballots are immediately sent out for delivery. Some 300,000 ballots are said to be outstanding. The FBI is also investigating robocalls and texts that urge people to stay home on Election Day. Voters received an estimated 10 million automated spam calls, telling them to, quote, stay safe and stay home. Day 1385, November 4th. Tension continued to grip the United States as the count slowly but surely continued to tip towards Joe Biden. Democrats did secure the House for another term, but appeared to have left the Senate in Republican hands after a razor-thin election. Trump continued to baselessly claim that fraud was occurring and demanded, quote, all voting must stop. Trump also claimed victory falsely in several states where millions of mail-in ballots were still being counted, describing the situation as, quote, a major fraud in our nation. Without offering any explanation, he again claimed that we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. We want all voting to stop. The Justice Department also said it would send armed federal officers to ballot counting locations around the country to investigate potential voter fraud. The move created the specter of the federal government intimidating local election officials or intervening in vote counts and calls by Trump to end the vote in states where he is losing. There is no evidence at all of voter fraud in the U.S. But Attorney General William Barr spent months claiming without evidence that a wave of mail-in ballots would lead to unprecedented voter fraud. The U.S. Postal Service also failed to comply with the federal judge's direct order to sweep 12 postal processing facilities covering 15 states for undelivered ballots. Judge Emmett Sullivan had ordered the Postal Service to search facilities after the agency said some 300,000 ballots it had received had not been scanned for delivery. The judge gave the post office until 3 o'clock to complete the sweeps, but the agency rebuffed the order saying it would stick to its own schedule. Nearly 7% of ballots in sorting facilities on Tuesday were not processed in time. Sullivan threatened to call Postmaster General Louis DeJoy to appear before him, saying, quote, I'm not pleased about this development. Someone may have to pay a price for this. The United States has officially left the Paris Climate Agreement, that is a global pact forged five years ago, to avert climate change. The Trump administration formally notified the U.N. a year ago that the U.S. would withdraw. Trump and Jared Kushner demanded that Fox News reverse their call that Biden had won Arizona. But the head of Fox polling, Aaron Mishkin, told the channel's viewers that he would not be changing his mind on the basis of, quote, we strongly believe our call will stand and that's why we're not pulling back the call. A visibly exasperated Mishkin said the objections, quote, were like talking about what would happen if a frog had wings. Deutsche Bank is now reportedly looking for ways to end its relationship with Trump after the election. Trump owes that bank close to $340 million across three loans, which will start coming due in the next two years. Day 1,386, November 5th, protests roiled American cities in response to Trump's efforts to challenge the vote count in the presidential election. In Minneapolis, protesters blocked a freeway, prompting arrests. In Portland, hundreds gather on the waterfront to protest an attempt to intervene in the vote count as a separate group protesting the police and urging racial justice surged through downtown. Protesters also gathered in Philly, LA, New York, and Chicago. In Phoenix, about 150 pro-Trump protesters, some of them armed, gathered outside the county recorder's office. In Detroit, another group of pro-Trump poll watchers surrounded a ballot counting center, demanding that officials stop the count of ballots after the campaign filed a suit to halt the count in Michigan. While the election remains too close to call, Joe Biden has flipped both Wisconsin and Michigan as the math continues to move against Trump. AP has also called the state of Arizona for Biden. That gives a lead over Trump in the electoral college of 264 to 214, and several states continue to count ballots. Biden is also gaining in both Georgia and Pennsylvania. Susan Collins of Maine beat back a stiff and well money challenge from Sarah Gideon, in a result that may secure a Republican Senate. Collins was considered one of the most vulnerable Republicans nationwide. Democrats have already locked up the House. However, Georgia remains in play as Kelly Loeffler and the Reverend Raphael Varnock, the overall vote-getter on the night, head to a January runoff. Georgia is now critical to the balance of power in the Senate, and David Perdue, who is the Republican incumbent, is also on the cusp of falling below 50 percent. That could trigger another runoff in January. And Trump's campaign continued the petition to courts in a last ditch effort to stave off defeat. Trump joined a case at the Supreme Court challenging Pennsylvania's plan to count ballots received up to three days after Election Day. Trump also said he was going to file suit in Michigan to halt the counting there. It asked Georgia to enforce strict deadlines in Chatham County in the wake of unfounded allegations that a small number of ineligible ballots might be counted in one location. Trump has also demanded a recount in Wisconsin. In a bizarre on-air rant, alleged lawyer Rudy Giuliani claimed that Biden could have voted up to 5,000 times in Philadelphia. Biden is, in fact, not registered to vote in Pennsylvania. He is registered in Delaware. Giuliani then suggested he would file a national lawsuit. It was unclear what he was talking about. Eric Trump also claimed the results in Pennsylvania were not democracy and the result of massive corruption. Meanwhile, the United States set a record with 102,000 COVID cases yesterday. Overseas, sterner measures are coming into play. England will be under a second national lockdown, joining Italy, Poland, Lithuania, and France. Day 1,387, November 6th. Joe Biden closed in on the presidency as returns from Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, and Pennsylvania continued to break his way. Trump would have needed to win all four of those states to get an Electoral College victory. Boyd as predicted by an overwhelming number of mail-in ballots, Biden looks set to assume the presidency even as Trump continues to wage legal battles in the hopes of stopping the count. So far, those battles have been futile. Trump also held a remarkable press conference from the White House claiming that the states of Michigan and Pennsylvania are deeply corrupt and calling it for his followers to go into the streets and protest. Saying baselessly that he was the victim of fraud, Trump claimed the entire result was illegitimate because he did not win. Trump had preceded that by tweeting that states must, quote, stop the count. Trump did not explain how, if the ballots were corrupt, how he was losing while down-ballot Republicans were winning. Trump also claimed that, quote, any vote that came in after Election Day will not be counted. This is false. In fact, a number of states, including Pennsylvania, allow ballots to arrive for days after the election as long as they're postmarked by November 3rd. This is a curious position to take also since many late ballots are sent by overseas members of the U.S. military. Westminster Management, an apartment company owned by the White House's Jared Kushner, has submitted hundreds of eviction filings against tenants during the pandemic. A state eviction moratorium currently bars Maryland courts from removing tenants and a federal moratorium offers renters additional protection. However, Kushner's company has continued to move toward evicting tenants. In Nevada, the Trump campaign said it was filing a federal lawsuit seeking to block alleged illegal votes. Former administration official Richard Grinnell claimed without evidence that ballots belonging to dead people had been counted and that thousands of people had voted despite moving out of the country. Grinnell refused to answer questions from reporters and instead chided the media for asking questions, saying, quote, Listen, you're getting information. Do your job. It's pretty easy. Grinnell's claims appear to be baseless. The USA set another grim record with 120,000 new coronavirus cases yesterday. Also, exit polls showed that in places where the virus is most rampant, Trump enjoyed the biggest support. Those results suggest widespread pushback against lockdowns and other public health orders such as mask wearing. Twitter permanently suspended an account belonging to Steve Bannon after he suggested that Dr. Anthony Fauci and FBI Director Christopher Wray should be killed and beheaded. His comments were made in a video posted to his Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter accounts. Bannon falsely claimed that Trump had won re-election and said that he should fire both Fauci and Ray. Quote, I put the heads on pikes. I put them at the two corners of the White House gates as a warning to federal bureaucrats. You either get with the program or you are gone. And just before this episode was recorded, Pennsylvania was called for Joe Biden. That ensures him of the presidency. Trump said he would not concede. These are the Trump Diaries.
0: This week, we play a tune from our friends in Anfang, who appeared in Studio A before the pandemic. This is Mistake. It was produced and engineered by Ari Shellis.
6: C-Y-F-F. I I do have something I would like to speak about of with regards to the um once again the the spookiest time of the year sure. the scariest time of the year the election election day mm-hmm. um specifically and perhaps what... one of the most spooky areas of science and that is math oh uh, easily the the spookiest part of of science as a whole um yes yeah, so. People are very interested in trying to predict the outcome of elections, Yes, none more than uh, presidential elections. None more than Tech Brothers. Uh, it, it, so uh, as is Simon, the Simon Amy Institute of Spirit Science, mm-hmm. specifically our um, uh, prognostology department, uh, the mathematical prognostology department to be specific. We sure. are very interested here at the Institute in finding um, – consistent, replicable ways in which mathematics can be applied to these sort of um, slippery problems, such as winning elections, um, in a way that provides meaningful analysis of the future events and probabilities. Mm -hmm. Um, And to go to the wider sort of political uh, analysis sphere, generally speaking, uh, most of what ends up being used for similar endeavors is is statistical analysis uh, albeit very complex statistical analysis uh, uh, certainly yes but statistical analysis nonetheless in, in a variety of certain variety of ways both algorithmically both uh, uh and analytically uh creating graphs creating models etc right man but but the the fact of the matter is is that mathematics is such a wide field that encompasses so many from um, different tool sets and uh sort of capabilities of course that simply relying on probability distributions and these sort of within the realms of statistics there's more out there is what I'm trying to say there's so much more out there that, that could provide a, um, a, a another toolbox another way to approach the problem well, you you've um, piqued my interest Rowan well exactly and and so uh, the the Department of Mathematical Prognostology um, at uh, the Simon's amy spirit science institute um are investigating a number of different methodologies outside of statistics Mm. to to predict events and determine likelihoods of events um we're looking at things like set theory abstract algebra um as well as what we've specialized on and what we've honed in on which is the the uh, numerological theory the numerological theory. Numerological theory, yes, um, known by uh, the uh, poorly, uh, poorly informed as numerology. Right. Who th- those who do not understand that it's a, it's it's a theory.
7: Every Saturday, PM.
0: The Lumpen Week in Review is produced by the staff and volunteers of WLPN LP Chicago, the community radio of the future. The Week in Review is overseen by Jamie Trecker, voiceovers by Shanna Volt, additional production by Cole Eisenberg, Julie Wu, Sergio Rodriguez, Neil Gaynor, Lane Gerbig, Alexander Jerry, John Piotrowski, Ari Shellist, and Annie Klein. Live music production by Ari Shellist. The Lumpen theme, background, and interstitial music is by Mike Perkins. The Lumpen Radio Sting is by Dan Jugal. For more information on Lumpen Radio, visit lumpenradio.com.